Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's another wonderful thing that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ does for us that we couldn't do it ourselves. It brings us peace, peace with God. Our sins left us not just with the need to be redeemed, not just with the need for a ransom, not just with the need to be brought near to God, not just with the need to be cleansed within, not just with the need for peace within, but our sins also left us with a great need to have them erased from the record, expunged from the record. Every time we sinned against God, it was like a crime sheet, and another crime was added to it. It was awful, and we could turn away and say, I don't want to look at it anymore, but it still remains. It's still on that sheet. And so what the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ did is it expunged it. It removed it. And if it's not removed, it's terrible because our crime sheet calls out for judgment. Our crime sheet says that sin has to be judged, and that sin has to be judged, and that sin has to be judged. And we know from the Bible that there is a day appointed in which sins will be judged. It says that in Acts 17.31. Acts 17.31 says, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man that he hath ordained, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the day of judgment. And we know that we're all going to face that because death, the Bible describes death as an appointed time, an appointment that every person is going to meet. It says in Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. After this, the judgment. Now, if you ask a lost person, if you ask a person who doesn't know the Bible, doesn't know God, and you say, you say to them, well, what's going to happen to you after you die? You know what the response you normally get is? Oh, I don't know, and no one knows. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't see, and no one can see. That's the response. But God has made it very clear. God has made it very clear. Death, judgment. Death, judgment. It says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God shall bring every work unto judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So we need this removal. We need the removal. We need the removal from what was described in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We walked away from God. We've turned everyone to our own way. I'm, I'm following Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I did it my way. And that's all sin, sin. Now, we need that expunged. We need that taken away. So recently, I had an exchange with an Orthodox rabbi on a, uh, by texting, 
and, and, and uh, I was talking about sin, and he wrote me back and he said, Tom, stop living in a negative world focused on sin. He says, transform the world. Well, that's great, but the problem is the world is sinful, and it's not possible to stop living in a sinful world and ignore this sad fact. Yeah, because some people say, well, where does this sin come from? Well, some people may say, well, sin comes, it, it comes from a faulty society. That's the problem. It's a faulty society. All we got to do is just fix the society. It's the world. The world has simply developed in the wrong direction. And to get rid of sin, we just need to change the society. But the Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible doesn't agree with that, that sin comes from the world. It comes from the human heart. And another people, other people would say, well, Sin comes from dysfunctional families. That's it. People, the reason people do sinful things is because they didn't have a good upbringing. They, they, they weren't raised in, in good families. They didn't have good moms and dads. They didn't raise, they weren't raised in the time of leave it to beaver. You know, and the Haskell, no. That's a problem. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible doesn't agree with that either. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, well, sin originates in the home. It originates from the human heart. And some people would say, I tell you what the problem is, it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood and all that media, all that glorification of murder and war and hatred. It's Hollywood that puts all those wrong ideas in our head. So we can just get, just change Hollywood to produce good, wholesome, rated G movies or better than G, whatever. And then, then, and then we'll be better and then, then sin won't be there anymore. Bible says no. Bible doesn't agree with that. Another deception is to where people say, well, sin comes from all those temptations. If there weren't all those temptations to take drugs from such easy access on the street, if there weren't all those temptations from the Internet to easily fall into the addiction of pornography, well, that's what the problem is. It's all those temptations. Sin just comes from all those circumstances in life and the pressures or those temptations. And this is what the psychologist says, what the psychologist told my father about me when he brought me to the psychologist to find out uh, what's wrong with Tommy. And the psychologist, who was the head of psychology over at UCLA, told my father, Eddie, that was my dad's name, Eddie, the boy is basically good, but the city of Los Angeles is bad. Problem with uh, Tommy is Los Angeles. You have to send the boy away. Send him to some clean place like Switzerland. Send the boy to Switzerland. Then he won't have any temptations. Well, Tommy found plenty of trouble in Switzerland, too. And, and, but uh, the Bible doesn't agree that it's the, it's, it's the environment. And then, because all of these explanations for when, where sin comes from are external problems that come from society, that come from family, that come from the, the origin. And when man gives any of these explanations, then man is acting like the Teflon man. You know, the Teflon man, nothing sticks. And uh, that was Adam, the Teflon man. Nothing sticked with him, stuck with him. He was said, you know, has the, God said to Adam, did you sin? Hast thou in, in Genesis three eleven, Genesis three eleven, hast thou indeed eaten of the tree that I commanded thee not to eat? And the Teflon man says, Yes, I make a full confession, she did it. That's what happened at the CEF booth last year when there was a little boy and his sister was was in there and, and I said to both of them, I said, uh, I said, Have you ever told a lie? And the little girl looked up to me and said, He has. <laughs> That's us. That's what we do. That's it. But God says, no, sin is not an external problem. Sin is an internal problem. Sin comes right out of the heart of man. It comes right up from inside man. It just bubbles up and over. It's just inevitable. It can only do that. I mean, some people would say, I did that? I didn't know I had it in me. Yes, that's why why I did it, because it was in you. And that shows the enormity of sin. It's only when we realize the enormity of sin 
that we're going to seek God's remedy, which is the Savior. Only when we see the enormity of our personal sin that we're going to seek God's wonderful, terrific, complete remedy to the problem, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when we see that sin, a lot of people think that, well, you know, sin is just what I did to that person or this person or my, my relative, my father, my mother. That, that, that sin, you know, is the horizontal. But, but God said, no, 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 that's not the essence of sin. David committed horrible sins against Bathsheba in a rape, against uh, her husband Uriah, but with uh, adultery and murder. He, he did horrible sins, but when he got down to talk to, to God about it, he, he said in Psalm 51.4, Psalm 51.4, he said to God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Thee only have I sinned. Well, what about Uriah? What about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? No, that means that compared to what he did as an offense to God, the others were like uh, not uh, seen. The enormity of the problem was what his, his sin is against God. And he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. See, he made no excuses. David made no excuses. David wasn't saying, well, you know, I was tired. I just, I don't know. I was, you know, it was really rough. And he didn't. He said, I sinned. And no one can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can be saved from their sins unless they, unless they can bring themselves to cross over that line and say, I sinned. I sinned, not my sister, my brother, not my brother, not my wife. I sinned. That's where salvation begins, is when a person actually owns up and says, I did it. It was me. That was the publican in Luke 18.13. Luke 18.13. Luke 18.13, where it says, the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but he smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, I'm a sinner. He said, God, I, I'm, I'm pleading for you for your mercy. When God hears those words, God hears music to his ears. He said, I thought you'd never ask. I have, have, I got a, have I got a remedy for you? The Lord Jesus Christ on the old rugged cross, shedding his blood, his blood accomplished everything it's got great news for you. His blood, God would say to the sinner who says, I'm a sinner. Then God would say, oh, the blood for you, it's a ransom, it's a redemption, it's a, it, it's a covering, it's a cleansing, it brings you peace. That's what God will give to the person who crosses over the line and says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, oh God, I deserve hell. Please be merciful to me. Please be merciful to me. And then God says, okay, okay, now, Man knows he's guilty, and God knows he's guilty, and his heart is crying out, oh, that my sins might be removed, oh, that they might be expunged, and he's aching desire to have sins removed. And the only method here is Moses when he says, behold the blood of covenant, behold the blood of the covenant. He stands there, and he looks forward, Moses looks forward to the blood of the covenant, the ultimate blood of the covenant, and he sees the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. And the marvelous thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is that some people think that, well, you know, um, I, can't, I can't reach that because, you know, I, I don't have a religious training. I got to go and study years in, in theology. 
or I, I'm, 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 I don't know. And so they think that, okay, it's just not within my reach. This is the marvelous thing. This is the marvelous thing of what the Lord Jesus Christ did and what God did. Put it within the reach of every man. I think I've told you before, I was uh, the kind of kid that you never wanted me over at your house. But whenever I would appear on the outside there and I would see in the window when people saw me coming to their house when I was a little kid, and they would run around and take all the vases and everything and put up on upper shelves, you know, because I was a terror. And they would do all that because they would put it outside of my reach. So I couldn't reach it. So I couldn't reach it. Now, what God has done in the gospel with the Lord Jesus Christ is he's put this great salvation within the reach of every man, within the reach of every man, every man, not just the religious man, every man. He's got to make a decision. He's got to make a decision. That's what Hebrews 2.9 says. Hebrews 2.9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. What does that mean? It's within the reach of every man. It's within the reach of every man. Romans 8.32 says this also. Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. This is a for us all gospel. This is for, this is for little kids at the Del Mar Fair in the child evangelism booth. And this is for those on the cancer ward at second floor at Grossmont Hospital who are on death's door. This is for us all. Second Corinthians 5.15 puts it so simply. Second Corinthians 5.15 just says, he died for all. He died for all. He died for the little kids. He died for the one who is, who is on death's door, who is on death's door. 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. That is the mediator. God's appointed mediator. We come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's appointed mediator. And there's only one. There's only one. Just as there's one God, there's one mediator for men, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say in 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all, for all. Again, it's all been put within our reach by God, by God. When he says for all, he means for all, for every single person. He voluntarily gave up his life for each one, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. It says in 1 John 2.22, 1 John 2.22, it says, he is the propitiation, which means sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that covers. He's the sacrifice that covers our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, the whole world. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. God so loved everyone in the world. God so loved all. God so loved every single person. What? That he gave his only begotten son. He released him. He let him. He said, he said I, I want to give you. you. You must go. You must go down to earth and die for a sinful man. He's lost. He's blind. He's going away from me. He's far from God. He's on his way to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. You must go. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. That's it. 
It's not a membership in a church. No, it's believing. It's not, it, it, I don't have to do all these things. No, it's believing. It's just believing. God said that's what it is. It's believing. Because if you try to add good works to getting into heaven, you pollute. You pollute. And God says, I won't have pollution. I said, God has done it all. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all on the cross. And that simply means that all a person has to do is believe into him. Believe into him. What's that mean? Believe into him. It means to say to God, I am a sinner. Cross that line. I am a sinner. First point, established. I am a sinner. Color me a sinner, God. You see me as a sinner. I am a sinner. Okay. I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins. I believe that. I believe it so much, it's not just academic with me, it's, it, is, it is now reaction. That I open the door of my heart, I swing the heart, my heart's doors open, and I say, Lord, I want, I want. I want you, Lord Jesus, to be my Savior. I want you, Lord Jesus, to be my God. I want you. I receive you in the, if, to be my Savior and my God. That's what it means to believe into. And that's what John 3.16 teaches. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hell is eliminated. Heaven is opened. Doors of hell for that person become closed, and the doors of heaven become open. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel, and that's what he did. That's what the Lord did. When John the Baptist, when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ for the, for the first time, something impressed him when he saw him. And it says in John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. the next day, John seeth Jesus coming up to him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. When he said takes away the sin of the world, he might as well said removed. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of Kent. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of Tom. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away your name. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's who he was. That's what John recognized when he said, he's the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice of God. Behold the blood of the covenant. What Moses said, behold the blood of the covenant. Behold the Lamb that's going to shed his blood. Behold the blood of the covenant which he's made with you. Behold the blood of the lamb which is now offered to you, and he takes away, removes the sin of the world. He does that. What a wonderful salvation that is. And you know, another thing that's actually wonderful about it is that is that it, it only was done once. We look back on an event that happened 2,000 years ago. People before that look forward to an event that happened 2,000 years ago. One event. One event, only one event, when the Lord Jesus Christ died when he died. And when he did that, it was once for all. That's the words of the Bible. Once for all. Once for all. It says in Hebrews 7.27, Hebrews 7.27, it speaks about, it speaks about this he did once when he offered up himself. He did once. It says that in Hebrews 9.28, Hebrews 9.28. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Once. And and first Peter three eighteen, first Peter three eighteen, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. It's a single blood shedding. It's a one time, that's all it took. 
I mean, just think of those priests back in Moses' day. Moses said to those priests, they said, okay, go slay the animals. They slayed the animals. They collected the blood, put it on the altar. The other part, they sprinkled the, the people with. Those priests, you know what they did? They killed animals. That was their job. They killed one animal sacrifices after another animal sacrifice, and then there was the next animal. And then, and because those, those sacrifices were only temporary, there was just a continual stream of all those animal sacrifices and you can imagine how the priests must have said one to, one to each other. They must have said, there's got to be an end to this. There's got to be an end to this. This can't go on forever. And it didn't. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ with the ultimate sacrifice and he died on the cross, all the animal sacrifices stopped at that point. Once for all. Heaven asks no more of anyone than this only one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to remove sins. Man needs nothing else than this only one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to remove sins. Because it's a once for all, once for all. Just like the hymn, just like the familiar hymn that we so often sing where it says, his precious blood shall never lose its power till the whole ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. So what we're seeing here is that God's only method for remission of sins. It's the only method for remission of sins is the blood. How many times I've heard a person who is trusting in Islam, a Muslim person, tell me when I ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? Tell me, how are you going to get to heaven? I really like to know, how are you going to get to heaven? And they'll say, oh, I'm just trusting in the mercy of God. That's what they'll say. I hope I'm trusting the mercy of God. That's a presumptuous. That's a presumptuous trust because it has no foundation to it. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation for hope. There's no forgiveness, there's no removal from sin from a presumption. No good works will be able to get a person to heaven. No future obedience can remove sins. No amount of turning over a new leaf can remove sins. And that's a miserable miserable life. That's a miserable life to try to always reach God because the haunting question always is remaining. Is it enough? Have I done enough? Where's the bar? I'm not sure. Have I really made it? Am I going to get an award while I have three asterisks by my name? Well, where is it? It's always that there. And so that's why the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. Peter said it so well in John 68. Peter said it so well when the Lord, when there were many who turned away from the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus turned to his disciples and said, well, how about you? Are you going to turn away also? And in John 668, it says, then Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That's the Lord Jesus. He is eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And his blood removed sins once for all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for so great a blood as in the Lord Jesus Christ to remove our sins once for all. We pray, Lord, that no one, Lord, in this room would leave here without doing that business with God, without swinging open the doors of their heart and to receive you, Lord Jesus, as the great Savior that you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 